Memorial Care Health System, Excellence in Healthcare, presents Weekly Dose of Wellness. Here's your host, Deborah Howell. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Deborah Howell and today we'll learn about leaky bladder causes and treatments with a leading expert in the field. Our guest today is Dr. Jennifer Grunenfelder, a urologist at Memorial Care Saddleback Medical Center. She's also subspecialty boarded in female pelvic medicine. Welcome, Dr. Grunenfelder. Thank you. Lovely to have you. So what is urinary incontinence? Urinary incontinence is leakage of urine, or essentially if the urine is coming out of your bladder anytime that you don't want to be urinating. And what are some common symptoms of urinary incontinence disorders? Well, in broad terms, we divide urinary incontinence into two different kinds. There's overactive bladder, and the symptoms of overactive bladder include urgency, which is the feeling that you have to get to the bathroom urgently, frequency, meaning that you're going to the bathroom more often than other people, and then urgent continence, which is where you get an urge to go, and before you can get to the bathroom, you leak or urine comes out. This is different from stress incontinence. Stress incontinence is where you have leaking with things that are like coughing, sneezing, jumping, anything that requires physical exertion. There's another kind of incontinence called overflow incontinence where people really aren't emptying their bladder and so they continuously drip urine. But mostly it's urgent incontinence or stress incontinence that we treat people for as urologists. And what are some common symptoms of urinary incontinence disorders? Well, leakage of urine is the major symptom, meaning that you have loss of urine before you get to the toilet and you have to wear a pad. Although you can also, as I said before, have associated frequency and urgency, waking up at night to urinate, things like that. What's a normal amount of times to wake up at night? It depends on your age. Most people below the age of 50 won't wake up at night. As people get older, it becomes more common. So people in their 80s will often wake up one to two times at night. As you age, your bladder capacity gets to be a little bit lower, so you can hold less. But if it becomes more than that, then that's definitely something that you can improve with treatment. And also not drinking after, say, 9 (laughs) o'clock. Exactly. We usually start with behavioral treatment when people have this issue. So just being mindful of how much you drink and when you drink it can make a huge difference in terms of how many times you wake up at night. So if you're having a big glass of water before bed, you probably will wake up. And especially if you have water on a bedside table and you're taking sips all night, you'd be more at risk of waking up at night. Or a glass of warm milk, like some people like to tell you to do. It works to get you to sleep, but then it wakes you up later. So are there any non-surgical treatment options for urinary incontinence? Sure. And part of it, as you just said, is fluid restriction or um, behavioral changes. We know that patients who drink a lot are more likely to have problems with incontinence. So there does seem to be this common idea that you need eight glasses of water a day. But Patients, especially with an overactive bladder, will probably be fine on four to six, and they'll find that they have a little bit of better control if they're not drinking all the time. And there are also some drinks that seem to make overactive bladder worse if you have a diet that's high in caffeine or alcohol or spicy foods or citrus foods. Those are often bladder irritants and can make people feel like they have more urge incontinence, more urinary urgency or frequency. And then the other treatment that is, I think, very important is to be aware of your pelvic floor health. You can do exercises called Kegel exercises where you are practicing strengthening the muscles 
to hold the urine in so that you can have better control when you do get the urge. And there's also a lot of evidence that doing core strengthening exercises will be helpful for this problem. A lot of people read about exercises, and you can certainly do them on your own. In the last 10 years, our guidelines have evolved in urology that it's been proven that pelvic floor physical therapy can be very helpful to teach people how to do the exercises and really give them the knowledge to do them on their own at home. And so there are quite a few pelvic floor physical therapists across the country who are really able to meet one-on-one with people who are suffering from this problem and teach them how to have better control. And having good core muscles, you know, is never a bad thing for other reasons as well. So when is surgery typically necessary? Well, necessary is always a difficult word with incontinence because it's really a quality of life decision. And so as an incontinence surgeon, I would never tell somebody you need surgery. It's really about when you decide that there is such an impact from this condition that it's really negatively affecting your quality of life. Maybe you don't travel or you don't exercise because of this problem. Generally speaking, we try to do conservative measures first, but if you're requiring multiple pads per day and leaking urine, it's something that you may wish to consider. It's not always a surgical problem. Patients with overactive bladder are initially treated with medication and physical therapy, and then if medication doesn't work, they can be treated with Botox in the bladder, which is an office procedure, or there is a surgery that's like a pacemaker procedure where you stimulate the bladder nerve and that treats overactive bladder. But generally, we try patients on medications first. For stress incontinence, which is the leakage with coughing, jumping, sneezing, and running, it's a quality of life decision, as I said. But if you're at a point where there's such an impact from your incontinence that you're no longer doing activities that you like to do that involve physical exertion, it may be time to think about surgery. And we have a surgical procedure where you can inject medicine in the urethra to close the urethra better, or we do what is called a sling procedure to kind of tighten up the sphincter muscle, which is the muscle that holds the urine in and provide better scaffolding in the pelvic floor so that you can resume your normal activities without that kind of leakage. So you mentioned medication. Say somebody has this problem, but really they only want to deal with it when they're traveling. Is there a way to go on and off? Yes, it's a medicine that's very safe for, you can start and stop without any significant side effects. Very interesting. Is it common for women to experience pelvic floor disorders after giving birth? And if so, what do you recommend for people who may experience this? It's very common because you're passing essentially a bowling ball through something that was the size of a keyhole. So obviously there's going to be some stressors on the system. And a lot of women will experience loss of some of the muscles and straining of all the ligaments. And I would recommend Kegel exercises and also seeing if you can get a referral to a pelvic floor physical therapist to really make sure that you're being taught how to do those exercises to regain that strength early in the postpartum period. As you were talking about the bowling ball scenario. Our male producer really cringed. (laughs) Now, is there anything women can do to prevent weakening of the pelvic floor muscles? Well, you can certainly work on pelvic floor exercises. Obesity has a role, so staying thin or at least normal BMI will really help. If you look at data on overweight and obese women, they are far more likely to suffer from incontinence than women who are of a normal weight. So making sure that you're mindful of what you eat and exercising regularly will help. 
And I, and I just really would emphasize that it's important to have a fitness regimen and work on core strengthening and just be aware that this is a part of your body that is muscular like everything else. And if you're not paying attention to it, it's more likely that you'll experience things like atrophy. So trying to make halo exercises part of your regular regimen is a good thing. Absolutely. Do you have any words of encouragement for people who have an issue with incontinence but are maybe embarrassed to address it? Go see your doctor is my word of encouragement. Incontinence is extraordinarily common. It affects 15 million Americans. And so I understand the embarrassment, but also know that there are lots of treatment options. And you certainly don't have to be embarrassed when you see your doctor. This is what we do all day long. So this is something that really can be improved with good medical treatment. It is such a big thing in terms of people's quality of life. If you're having incontinence that's severe enough that you're not going out when you want to, that you can't sit through a movie, that you're not traveling when you want to, you shouldn't be embarrassed. This is unfortunately a condition that's associated with aging, but that doesn't mean that there isn't treatment for it. And there are a lot of people who are like me trained to really give people options for how to make their quality of life better. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Grunenfelder, for being on our show today. It's been so good to talk to you. Thank you for having me. I'm always happy to talk about this topic. (laughs) Our pleasure, and you're helping so many folks. For more information, visit memorialcare.org slash saddleback. That's memorialcare.org slash saddleback. And if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to hear more, just go to memorialcare.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening, and have yourself a fantastic day.